Chapter sixty of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter sixty. Nelson and the Nile. The first day of August in the year of our Lord seventeen hundred and ninety-eight is a day to be long remembered by every Briton with a piece of constitution in him. For on that day our glorious navy under the immortal Nelson administered to the Frenchman under Admiral Brewer as pure and perfect a lathering as is to be found in all history. This I never should venture to put upon my own authority, especially after the prominent part assigned therein by Providence to a humble individual who came from Newton Nottage, for with history I have no patience at all, because it always contradicts the very things I have seen and known. But I am bound to believe a man of such high principles and deep reading as Master Roger Burke rolls, and he tells me that I have helped to produce the greatest of all great victories. Be that one way or the other, I can tell you every word concerning how we managed it, and you need not for one moment think me capable of prejudice. Quite the contrary, I assure you, there could not have been in the British fleet any man more determined to do justice to all crapos than a thoroughly ancient navigator, now master of the Goliath we knew exactly what to do every captain every master every quartermaster even the powder monkeys have their proper work laid out for them the spirit of nelson ran through us all and our hearts caught fire from his heart from the moment of our first glimpse at the frenchman spread out in that tempting manner beautifully moored and riding in a long fine head and stern every old seaman among us began to count on his fingers prize money they thought that we would not fight that night, for the sun was low when we found them, and with their perpetual conceit they were hard at work taking water in. I shall never forget how beautiful these ships looked and how peaceful. A French ship always sits the water with an elegant quickness like a Frenchwoman at the looking-glass, and though we brought the evening breeze in very briskly with us, there was hardly swell enough in the bay to make them play their hawsers. Many fine things have I seen, and therefore know pretty well how to look at them, which a man never can do upon the first or even the second occasion but it was worth any man's while to live to the age of threescore years and eight with a sound mind and a sound body and eyes almost as good as ever if there were nothing for it more than to see what i saw at this moment six and twenty ships of the line thirteen bearing the tricolour and riding cleared for action the other thirteen with the red cross flying the cross of st george on the ground of white and tossing the blue water from their stems under pressure of canvas onward rushed our british ships as if every one of them was alive and driven out of all patience by the wicked escapes of the enemy twelve hundred leagues of chase had they cost us ingratitude towards god every night and love of the devil at morning with dread of our country for ever prevailing and mistrust of our own good selves and now at last we had got them tight and mean we did to keep them 
captain foley came up to me as i stood on the ratlines to hear the report of the men in the starboard fore chains and his fine open face was clouded master he said how much more of this damn your soundings can't you see that the zealous is drawing ahead of us hood has nobody in the chains if you can't take the ship into action i will stand by there to set top-gallant sails these had been taken in scarce five minutes agone as prudence demanded for none of us had any chart of the bay and even i knew little about it except that there was a great shoal of rock betwixt abu Kur island and the van ship of the enemy and but for my warning we might have followed the two french brigs appointed to decoy us in that direction now having filled top-gallant sails we rapidly headed our rival though zealous in spite of all that she could do and we had the honour of receiving the first shot of the enemy for now we were rushing in stern on having formed line of battle towards the van of the anchored frenchman now as to what followed and the brilliant idea which occurred to somebody to turn the enemy's line and take them on the larboard or inner side on which they were quite unprepared for attack no two authorities are quite agreed simply because they all are wrong some attribute this grand manoeuvre to our great admiral nelson others to captain hood of the zealous and others to our captain foley this latter is nearest the mark but from whom did captain foley obtain the hint modesty forbids me to say what welshman it was who devised this noble and most decisive stratagem while patriotic duty compels me to say that it was a welshman and more than that a glamorganshire man born in a favoured part of the quiet village of in in enough unless i add that internal evidence will convince any unprejudiced person that none but an ancient fisherman and thoroughgoing longshoreman could by any possibility have smelled out his way so cleverly our great admiral saw with his usual insight into frenchmen that if they remained at anchor we were sure to man their capstans for crappos fight well enough with a rush but unsteadily when at a standstill and worst of all when taken by surprise and outmanoeuvred and the manner in which the british fleet advanced was enough to strike them cold by its majesty and its awfulness for in perfect silence we were gliding over the dark blue sea with the stately height of the white sails shining and the sky behind us full of solemn yellow sunset even we so sure of conquest and so nerved with stern delight could not gaze on the things around us and the work before us without for a moment wondering whether the lord in heaven looked down at us at any rate we obeyed to the letter the orders both of our admiral and of a man scarcely less remarkable let not the sun go down on your wrath are the very words of st paul i believe and we never fired a shot until there was no sun left to look at it i stood by the men at the wheel myself and laid my own hand to it for it was a matter of very fine steerage to run in ahead of the french line wear soundings and then bear up on their larboard bow to deliver a thorough good raking broadside i remember looking over my left shoulder after we bore up our helm a weather 
while crossing the bows of the carrier as the foremost enemy's ship was called and there was the last limb of the sun like the hoof of a horse disappearing and my own head nearly went with it as the wind of a round shot knocked me over bear up bear up lads cried captain foley our time has come at last my boys well done llewellyn a finer sample of conning and steerage was never seen let go the best bower pass the word ready at quarters all of you now she bears clear fore and aft damn their eyes let them have it out rang the whole of our larboard battery almost like a single gun a finer thing was never seen and before the ring passed into a roar the yellow frenchman came through the smoke masts and spars flew right and left with the bones of men among them and the sea began to hiss and heave and the ships to reel and tremble and the roar of a mad volcano rose and nothing kept either shape or tenor except the faces of brave men every ship in our fleet was prepared to anchor by the stern so as to spring our broadsides aright but the anchor of the goliath did not bite so soon as it should have done so that we ran past the carrier and brought up on the larboard quarter of the second french seventy four with a frigate and a brig of war to employ a few of our starboard guns by this time the rapid darkness fell and we fought by the light of our own guns and now the skill of our admiral and his great ideas were manifest for every french ship had two english upon it and some of them even three at a time in a word we began with the head of their line and crushed it and so on joint by joint ere even the centre and much more the tail could fetch their way up to take part in it our antagonist was the first that struck being the second of the frenchman's line and by name the concurrent but she found in captain foley and david llewellyn an ant a little too clever to conquer we were a good deal knocked about with most of our main rigging shot away and all our masts heavily wounded nevertheless we drew ahead to double upon the third french ship of the wonderful name of sparticipate from this ship i received a shot which but for the mercy of the lord must have made a perfect end of me that my end may be perfect has long been my wish and the tenor of my life leads up to it nevertheless who am i to deny that i was not ready for the final finish at that very moment and now at this time of writing i find myself ready to wait a bit longer what i mean was a chain shot sailing along rather slowly as they always do and yet so fast that i could not either duck or jump at sight of it although there was light enough now for anything with the french admiral on fire happening to be well satisfied with my state of mind at that moment not from congratulation so much as from my inside conscience i now was beginning to fill a pipe and to dwell upon further manoeuvres for one of the foremost points of all after thoroughly drubbing the enemy is to keep a fine self-control and be ready to go on with it no sooner had i filled this pipe and taken a piece of wadding to light it which was burning handy in spite of all my orders than away went a piece of me and down went i as dead as a dutch herring at least so everybody thought who had time to think about it and the master's dead ran along the deck so far as time was to tell of it i must have lain numb for an hour i doubt with the roar of the guns and the shaking of bulkheads like a shiver jarring me and a pool of blood curdling into me and another poor fellow cast into the scuppers and clutching at me in his groaning when the heavens took fire in one red blaze and a thundering roar that might rouse the dead drowned all the rolling battle din i saw the white looks of our crew all aghast and their bodies scared out of death's manufacture by this triumph of mortality 
and the elbows of big fellows holding the linstock fell quivering back to their shaken ribs for the whole sky was blotched with the corpses of men like the stones of a crater cast upwards and the sheet of the fire behind them showed their knees and their bellies and streaming hair then with a hiss like electric hail from a mile's height all came down again corpses first being softer things and timbers next and then the great spars that had streaked the sky like rockets the violence of this matter so attracted my attention that i was enabled to rally my wits and lean on one elbow and look at it and i do assure you that anybody who happened to be out of sight of it lost a finer chance than ever he can have another prospect of for a hundred and twenty gun ship had blown up with an admiral and rear admiral not to mention a commodore and at least seven hundred complement and when the concussion was over there fell the silence of death upon all men not a gun was fired nor an order given except to man the boats in hopes of saving some poor fellows End of chapter sixty